Hello and welcome to episode 197 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the writer and director Kate Dolan. On today's interview we get to sit down and talk all about how her career came about, how she fell in love with film and we get to focus on her brand new film You Are Not My Mother. It's one of the best horrors that I've seen in a very long time and I really truly believe that Kate has an amazing future ahead of her. I urge you all to go and check this film out and as always let me know what you think. And that interview is coming up in just a couple of minutes time. But before we get there, I always like to use the intro of the podcast to touch base and talk about my last episode. So on episode 196, I was joined by the film director, Ben Charles Edwards. During this interview, we got to focus and talk all about his brand new film, Father of Flies. I want to say a massive thank you for everyone that took the time to listen. Let me know what they thought of the film, the interview, and honestly, it means the world. So thanks so much. But as I said, today's interview is all about me and Kate Dolan. I can't wait for you to listen to it, so I think the best thing to do is to get straight to it now. So here's me and Kate talking all things film. So Kate, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, it's lovely to meet you. What I'd like to do today, Kate, for any listeners that are tuning in for the first <coughs> time, is get an idea of where it all started for you. So at a young age, can you remember those first films that you saw that made you fall in love with film? Um, yeah, I think I was, um, I was raised by my mom and she was a big kind of, um, cinema kind of lover. And so we, she used to rent a lot of kind of VHS tapes and watch them. And because I was like her only child who would never go to bed, we ended up watching them a lot together. Um, weirdly, I remember quite vividly watching Braveheart with her, um, and I remember watching Shawshank Redemption, I think was the one that that's the kind of first big movie I remember watching as a kid. And I think it was just like there was a lot of imagery in that, which I like it's really like ingrained in my brain, like when he climbs out of the tunnel yeah. and he escapes from prison and stuff like that. And I remember just kind of being like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I think my grandmother was a big cinephile as well. So she used to always kind of watch the classics like Gone with the Wind and um Rebecca and stuff like that so that you know she used to kind of make me watch those with her but obviously make me when I was a kid but I, I was like black and white and then I just like fall in love with them as well <laughs> so um yeah I think between the two of them I just got a good education kind of young and then um yeah kind of a lot of classic movies from that era I suppose there's uh, some absolute uh huge yeah. epic classics there stuff like you know yeah. Shawshank it's like to just build upon that as your foundations is pretty heavy yeah yeah I think I was like seven or eight when I watched that wow <laughs> yeah I know yeah I watched it later in life as an adult and I was like oh maybe this wasn't suitable for me but I didn't really pick up on the kind of no. things that weren't when I was a kid obviously I was just like he's escaping from prison this is so exciting <laughs> So at that point, I suppose you're a bit young to know it's how it's all kind of constructed and made behind the scenes. So at what point are you starting to think, ah, oh, these films take a whole production team. I want to get involved in this sort of stuff. Yeah, I think um, as I got a little bit older, um, I remember my once my mom started dating an actor who was on a lo like a kind of soap opera in Ireland. Okay. And. Um, we went to the set of the soap opera and I kind of, that's when I think I kind of started to put it together. Um, 
And then as I got a little bit older, I started getting kind of Empire magazine. And then that was obviously kind of, you, you know, you start to see all the kind of behind the scenes photos and interviews of people and all that kind of stuff. And then it, it started to click, I suppose, in that way. That's amazing. <laughs> and I suppose at that point, is it then you thinking this is the only job I want? Or were you trying to think this is a bit of a dream and like, maybe it become reality? Um. Yeah, I think I just, yeah, I got kind of an obsession. I In Ireland, obviously, we it's like mostly Catholic in Ireland. And I made my confirmation and my communion. And on those, on those kind of celebrations, you get given money by relatives. And I okay. had saved up all my money that I'd gotten from both. So I think I had like 500 pounds, maybe or something like that. So I did, was determined to buy a camera. And my mom was like, please just save it or do something else with it. Like, don't blow it all on like one thing. So I bought like a high eight camera. Um, and then I started like making little films with that. And uh, yeah, it was like, it was just kind of, I think it was just an obsession that kind of never left. And I got it really in my head that that's what I wanted to do. And then in school, I remember the guidance counselor when we were filling out, we had to, in Ireland, you fill out these forms that are kind of like your top options for school, like um, college. And I remember I just had the film course. That was kind of the one big like bachelor's degree film course that was in Ireland at the time. And she was like, would you not put anything else down? Like, what if you don't get it? And I was like, no, no, I'll get it. It'll be fine. And she was like, um, yeah, so that was kind of funny. But it did work out in the end. <laughs> That's awesome. And was your mum backing you or was she kind of saying, look, you need to get a real job? No, yeah, she was like, why don't you do a, a proper degree first? <laughs> and then you can do film if you want to after. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of, she was like, she was supportive, but she was definitely like, oh, I kind of wish you were just, maybe doing something a bit more stable first <laughs> yeah and obviously it's about I think it's 10 years ago since you made your first short breathe in yeah that was my graduate short film in school yeah how cool is that like knowing it's 10 years ago I know that's kind of crazy <laughs> too scary but then was yeah. it a case of that you built upon that so you had your camera you're trying out all this stuff you're studying and you're just trying to learn the kind of tricks along the trade and were you just trying to get on movie sets and be part of production were you trying to do as much as you could to basically learn what happens behind the scenes yeah I think um, when I was in college I, I got um I ended up kind of getting onto a, I think my first set was when I was like in first year of college during the summer between kind of first and second year and I did, a, I was on set as a, on a short film as a trainee, a kind of a big short film that was had, it was Green Ireland short film. So it had a big budget and it had kind of a proper crew of people working on it. Like, um, and I was a trainee AD on that. And I think then I just, yeah, I just, I made friends with that, well, not made friends with, I was like 18, but I kind of, uh, the producer of that short kind of um, was really uh, guiding to me. And she kind of then, got me to work in her production company um what like during the summers when I was in college and I got on a lot of she was kind of did a lot of commercials and stuff like that so I did a lot of that as well and just kind of admin for her and um, so yeah I think I was just the kind of person that like any job I could try or just like get near the sets it was like just trying to do that as much as possible and at what point was it that you started writing as well as directing? Because obviously these shorts and stuff you're writing, but is it continuously a thing that you were just, I want to do both, or was there kind of a direction you wanted to go in rather than the other? I think it was always very naturally both. Like in college, 
I was obviously writing like all the kind of assignments that we did. It was really funny though in college, they I wanted to do writing and directing because in the final year you would do directing, you would make a graduate film that you yeah. would write as well. But then the writers would get to, they got to write a feature film in their final year. And I was like, I want to do both those. And the, the college wouldn't let me because they were like, the workload will be too big. So I did editing as my minor um, degree with directing. So... <clears throat> Yeah, I guess then I just, yeah, it was writing was one of those things like ideas. I think I just, if they ever came to me, I'd always just be writing. Um, probably not very good at the beginning, but then you kind of just like get better from practice. And then, but then, yeah, any anything I've made, any short films or the feature, I've all written myself. I think, you know, when you're starting out, you kind of have to be a self-generator a little bit yeah, because definitely. you're waiting around for someone to write you the perfect short. It's like that could take forever. And doesn't it feel good that you're in control? It's your own source material, it's your own script, it's your own ideas, and at least you can kind of make it go the direction that you want, the vision that you have. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, even if your writing's not the best at the beginning, if you're directing it yourself, you can kind of take that and you know exactly what it's meant to be in your mind, so then you can kind of just work with that document even if it's not like the most perfect document that you've ever seen and with your first full-length feature uh, you are not my mother um this came after a number of shorts and obviously getting to find the tricks of the trade find out your skills at what point did you know it was that point where you're ready to take that big step and do this you know big budget feature in compared to what you've done previously yeah i guess you know it was always the you're always working towards that yeah. um it was funny because there was actually before I did catcalls, I so my short before that little doll had been a Ferlin Alley and an Irish production company here that made feature films. Um, yeah. They were called Fastnet at the time. They're called Wild Atlantic Pictures now. But the one of the executives there saw that my film was at Ferlin Alley and had seen it. And he asked me in for a meeting, I was like, do you have any feature ideas? And I was like, okay, um, yeah, I have this one. And it was kind of about these like, somebody turning into a kind of a werewolf a coming of age story um and that kind of turned to wear cat and then it turned cat calls was actually kind of a proof of concept for that treatment that i was working on yeah about like those monsters um so i kind of thought that that was gonna be my first feature for a while but it was just that you know that had a quite of a ambitious effects and stuff like that so it was kind of hard i suppose to make that as a first feature and for people to bet on you and you haven't really done anything that big yet. Um, <clears throat> so then when I finished Cat Calls and it had done its festival run, I went, um, Screen Ireland had this scheme and it was basically like an expediated scheme to do a feature film as a first time director. Um, and I had a rough idea called You Are Not My Mother, which was, you know, it felt contained because part of that scheme was that the budget was going to be four hundred thousand euro and not much, uh, not much more. Um, so you couldn't take any kind of additional sales on top of that. So I had this idea that I felt could be done within that scheme and within the parameters. And Screen Ireland knew me because they had funded uh, cat calls. So it was kind of a weird thing because it was just, it was just this very rough idea I had, and then suddenly the scheme came along, and it was like that's that's the feature that you're doing now and it kind of it was expediated through developments of the script but from the point when we submitted that kind of initial draft like outline 
to the draft to the shooting it was it was very much faster than your average development on a film so it was like maybe one and a half two years altogether and that became then you know what I was gonna do um as my first feature um which was great because you know you know you could be waiting around forever so I was kind of really grateful for that scheme to come along to just like get to make that first step that big step you know Definitely. And do you think because of the pace of that and it's not natural, you know, in a year and a half to two years for it all to be coming to fruition, do you think that that kind of helped in the way that you wouldn't let yourself get too kind of scared or, you know, the kind of if you think about something too much, you can kind of put yourself off. Do you think because of that pace, you were just caught up on it and before you knew it, it was happening, which helps kind of prepare you mentally for it? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm sure a lot of creatives suffer from this, but I think there is, like, I always suffered with kind of like, oh, it's, well, it's not perfect. I can't do it yet. It's not perfect. And I think, yeah, with You Are Not My Mother, it was kind of like, look, we have these parameters. We haven't got a huge budget. Let's just make this as best as we can within these parameters and, and go for it and make the leap. And I think, yeah, it was it was it was really good in that way, as you say, just to kind of not overthink things too much because, you know, there was um sometimes those parameters are kind of a gift budgetary parameters because you're not kind of you know your some of your decisions are taken away from you because like well this is the only equipment we can get because we don't have any more money (laughs) yeah yeah and what was the biggest learning curve to jump from those shorts to this full-length feature were you on set thinking oh my god I I hadn't anticipated this or did you just treat it as like a a short being a lot longer (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. It was actually kind of less stressful in some ways than shorts because I think shorts and I do a lot of commercials and music videos as well. And they're usually really quick. And like, you know, you kind of, you know, you only have a a couple of days to shoot them and then they're done. And then you kind of like, oh, my God, that was so quick. Um, And the prep's not very long and the post isn't very long. So, you know, having so much prep time, I think as well, because COVID, we were going to shoot in spring of 2020. So we had some crew who were already on board and we got crew and cast on board around that time. And then we ended up shooting in November. So we actually kind of got these extra few months of prep and like people who were kind of around still, like the composer was like, she composed some music based on the script and stuff like that. And when you have so much prep time, when you're actually on set, it all feels a lot easier because you're kind of just like, Oh, everything's kind of done. There's no, you know, there's, there's not as much stress on set, I don't think. Obviously, you have the days where like things go not to plan and you kind of have to panic. But I think overall, you have such um, a big team of HODs who all know what they're doing. So it's like, and they've done their prep and they, you know, so in that way, it felt like quite settled, actually, a lot of the time when we were on set, like in the house particularly, because there wasn't a lot of moving parts in there. It was just kind of letting the actors do their thing and we had planned our shots quite meticulously in there as well so it was quite nice in that way and when you said earlier about you know you you never know if something's finished and it's always difficult to kind of say you're probably a perfectionist which is sometimes your own worst enemy when yeah. you're making this as your first full length full length feature and you want to kind of leave a mark and know it's your first one that sets the tone how do you get to the point where you know it's just time to wrap it up and know it's done because it's like someone painting isn't it it's really difficult not to keep just going back and adding more and more yeah I think well you know again with ours because of the budgetary constraints like 
it was you know there wasn't much you know what i mean like you, not you, much you movement kinda, yeah because like yeah. Got, you know you don't have kind of money to do reshoots or really do anything like that so it was kind of like we just had to prep as as meticulously as we could to make sure that we would kind of have everything we needed and, and uh the script as well just working on that as much as possible to try to get it to a point where we knew we wouldn't kind of be moving things around in the edit so you know what you see is kind of really what was on the page because we just didn't have the kind of uh flexibility to kind of move away from that but in the budgets uh, budget wise um well yeah i think you know there's a lot of pressure on a filmmaker about like debut features and they kind of have to really make a mark and stuff and i did really feel the pressure of that and i still feel that you know like you still kind of go like well was that good enough to be your first feature and stuff like that but i think you kind of have to look at some of the great filmmakers that you know, and like, you know, Martin Scorsese and stuff like that. And it's like, well, nobody talks about his first feature. No. They talk about like all his brilliant films he's done since. So I think you kind of have to like, I think in our modern age, the debut is like so much pressure is put on that. But I think, you know, most filmmakers make their best work when it's not their debut because they have time, like, you know, they have, the kind of experience to do it slightly better the next time do you know what I mean and, and on that subject kind of moving forward now now this one is done it's out there you know it's ready to be reviewed and for people to see how do you then anticipate that follow-up it's like a band isn't it bringing out their second album after their big debut how do you feel the pressure now of now taking it up a notch yeah I think I actually don't feel too stressed about it I think you know there's you know, I was quite nervous about this film coming out and because, you know, the constraints were, there was a lot of creative compromises um, and it's been received really well. We've gotten like really positive reviews generally and I think people seem to respond to what it, what we're trying to do with it. Um, so that's kind of been a comfort because then I think, you know, I kind of, it doesn't, um, you know, you feel like you can kind of, you've made something that people understand and, and they enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, obviously it's the million dollar question. You kind of have, there's lots of scripts I've read from different people. There's scripts of my own I might want to do. So, yeah, it's just kind of feeling it out and just going with your gut. I think the gut instinct is the best tell of like what you should do and make decisions like that. So it's like just have to follow that instinct. I ask this to everyone that comes on the podcast. It doesn't matter if they're an actor, a director, a cinematographer, but there are a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are trying to get into the film industry. And what advice do you give to someone that's listening today that's maybe thinking of investing in a camera for the first time or trying to start writing their first script? It's such a hard industry to get known in, isn't it, when there's yeah. so much competition. But what advice do you give that you've had firsthand that could help those people in making the right decisions? I do think I had a meeting. I met with a filmmaker for a coffee recently who's kind of, he was going to do his first short film. And he was kind of doing, I could see what I used to do when I was kind of starting out, where he was kind of in that space where he was going, like, oh, well, the, it's not perfect. I'm like, the script, you know, I need to work on it more. And I think that's like, you know, the biggest setback for me was myself just being like too afraid to just do things do you know what I mean yeah. because they weren't perfect and I think you know you can just waste so much time just sitting around just waiting for your short film script to be perfect and it's like it probably will never be that you know it won't be perfect and like you just part of the process is like 
failing or doing things wrong because that's how you learn how to do them the right way and I think just yeah just don't kind of like let yourself sit there for a year with a short film script going like oh how am I going to get this done like you always find ways to do things even if it's not like the biggest funding or the biggest camera or all that kind of stuff I think you know you can just try and do do something rather than just waiting for kind of somebody to come to you and be like wow I'm going to give you a million dollars for this trip (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think as well probably another kind of thing which I found to be really helpful when I was coming up was um just looking to your peers around you rather than trying to like hit up the biggest producer that you've ever met and yeah because you know they're doing bigger things and they don't they don't really care who you are or what you're doing um so I think you know go to short film festivals meet the other filmmakers meet their producers meet the, the writers of their shorts or like the directors of their shorts if you're a writer and make those kind of connections because then those were the, like the most important to me I think as I kind of have been coming up like other short filmmakers like Rob Savage who I met you know when we both had short films and now he's doing like all these big things and do you know what I mean it's like those people you know bring you up with them and they kind of help you and you help each other and um, that just is really invaluable you know. Definitely. And I, I love the way that there's so many people making a name for themselves within the British film industry right now. People like Prano Bailey Bond, like you said, yeah. Savage as well. It's a great time for up and coming directors. And it's, it's, it feels like there's a real buzz at the moment. Yes. Yeah. I think there's, um, yeah, it's funny, like Prano, even I remember meeting really briefly at like a short film festival with my, when I, my graduate short was at a f- short film festival in 2012. And she had, she was winning a prize for a short she had made. And I was just like, wow, she seems so cool and her shorts so cool. And now it's like, you know, you know, it's kind of she's doing like amazing things. So it's just, yeah, it's it's um it's just so nice to see people succeeding and doing like brilliant films and kind of especially when they're such lovely people who are so nice as well. Yes, it um, is really good to yeah. see. Yeah, it's really cool. My final question for you today, and I ask this to everyone that comes on, is what I do on the podcast is I ask the guest to choose the outro piece of music on the spot. So it can be any band, any piece of music, any song. And it's quite a tough one because I don't give you time to really think about it. But (laughs) every episode has their own individuality by the fact that the guest chooses it. So what's a song that means a lot to you that once this is all edited, wrapped up, out there for the world to listen to, what's that final song that you'd love to hear being played after our interview today? Um, I am going to go with a band who are friends of mine. They're an Irish band called the Pillow Queens. Okay. Um, and a music video I did for them a couple of years ago, which was my favorite, one of my favorite things I've ever done was for a song called Gay Girls. And there's, um, uh, the chorus is like, I won't worry about the gay girls. And it's just like really empowering ballad, like a song. And, um, you know, I'm a queer filmmaker and they're the whole band is queer. And I think, um, yeah, it's just like it always like is it, it really kind of sets me off. It gives me kind of like an upbeat start to the day. So I'm going to pick that. That's good. So I haven't heard it and I love it when I discover new music through doing these interviews. So that sounds great. Cool. Awesome. That's deadly. Thank you for joining me today, Kate. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I can't wait for people to see you on Up My Mother. And uh, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was so nice to chat to you. It was really nice. Thank you. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Kate Dolan. What an amazing person, an amazing writer and incredible director. 
And as I said at the start of today's interview, I really believe Kate has an amazing future ahead of her. You only have to see the direction of You Are Not My Mother to know just how clued up she is and how on the ball she is. She's incredible. I'd like to take the time to say a massive thank you to Kate for coming on the podcast. Your time means hell of a lot to me and I really hope that our paths cross again in the near future and you join me again on the Mark and Me podcast. I really want to say a massive thank you for everyone that's taken the time to listen to today's interview and please go and check out the film You Are Not My Mother. It's an amazing horror and it's out right now. If you want to support the podcast, they will always remain free. But the best way to help promote the podcast is to share it on your social media networks. Tell your friends on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter or share it on Instagram. It really does go a long way and costs you guys at home absolutely nothing, but really makes a difference for Mark and me. And if you really enjoy the podcast and want to support me on another level, I have a Patreon page. The link is on markandme.com and anyone that signs up on there gets a Mark and Me exclusive badge instantly. You'll get interviews exclusive to you just for being on Patreon and you'll get some incredible prizes from the great guys at Richer Sounds to say thanks for supporting me on the podcast. So as I said, the link's on Mark and Me and I need it more than ever because all the money that gets invested into Mark and Me via Patreon goes right back into the podcast, allows me to travel the country, host the podcast on all different networks and keep this podcast running. It means a great deal to me and really goes a long way. So if you really want to support me, like I said, all the links are on markandme.com. Thanks again, everyone, for taking the time to listen today. I'll be back in only a couple of days' time with a brand new episode. So until then... Take care, look after yourself, and I'll speak to you all very soon.